Welcome to The Diving Pod. I'm Nick McCrory, Olympic bronze medalist from the 2012 Olympic Games. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. And this podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Sideline Scout. Whole lot of updates coming out to their poolside live package as well as other things. So get over to sidelinescout.com and get yourself hooked up with the best video replay system there is to buy. Uh, it truly is a game changer. It's on all the major pool decks. Uh, I selfishly too looked at their website recently and our logo got added on. So that was pretty cool. Uh, everybody's supporting everybody there. So check it out. Sidelinescout.com. Yeah. So jumping in here, Nick, um, you know, kind of take us through your, your journey as an age grouper, how you selected where you went to college and then where you ended up and where you are now. Um, before you do that, I do have to say this. So USA, how I learned about Nick was uh, USA diving used to do a magazine. And I know I told you this when I first met you, they used to do a magazine and they would do a featured athlete and Nick was the featured athlete. And the reason why it stuck out to me is because his club coach, which we'll talk about at some point was Nunzio Esposto who dove at the same high school as I did well before me. But, uh, so that was all like, ever since then I've looked up to you, I'm like, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, just kind of take us through your journey and how you selected Duke and where you are now. Awesome. That's funny. You bring that up. I totally forgot about that connection, but, uh, thanks for that. And, uh, thank you. Thank you also for having me. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be here and like, I'm getting to relive, you know, thinking about the diving days. Um, I certainly miss the sport a lot. So thank you guys. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, starting from the beginning, I, I started diving when I was seven. My parents had me in swimming and um, I was a little bit too off the walls for that sport. Um, you know, seeing the, seeing the divers on the other side of the pool, I, you know, after months of begging, I finally got the okay from my parents to switch over to that side. You know, but I had taught myself, you know, some diving stuff at summer pools, you know, prior to that. And so kind of knew it's what I wanted to do. And I was really fortunate um, right from the get-go to um, have a local local club with um, an incredible, incredible coach um, getting to work with Nunzio Espasto starting when I was, you know, just eight years old, um, kind of really set me on, set me on the path. And, uh, you know, he let me have fun. He, he was never too serious. He let me have fun and he taught me you know, the most important basics and skills that, you know, let me become, you know, the diver I eventually I did. And, um, he also, you know, taught me to believe in myself and, and go for it. So, um, that was just really, really critical. Um, you know, I getting started in the age group team, you know, my, I got to go to a lot of competitions. I think some of my first international competitions were, you know, going to the let's see the U S Can-Am challenge, I think. And I don't even remember what year that was maybe like 2001 or something. I don't know. Um, and <laughs> getting to go to, I remember the junior Pan Am games in Brazil a few years later. And so, you know, those were such fun experiences and kind of, I think got me hooked on wanting to keep doing that, getting to travel, getting to dive different places around the world. And, um, I was very fortunate to have a family that, you know, supported me in, in pursuing diving and like, you know, traveling with me and coming to all my meets. Um, so, but, you know, having fun with it was always like one of the most important things. Eventually, um, you know, 
I got close to making my decision about where I went to college. And it was around the time that um, there were some, some like, you know, transitions in coaching, um, you know, uh, Duke's coach, uh, Duke's college diving coach, I think stepped out when I was uh, maybe a junior um, in college. And, you know, around that, around that same time, you know, uh, Nunzio was, um, taking a step, step back from diving as well. And, you know, we, um, helped recruit Drew Johansson to, to Duke actually to fill that spot since, um, you, you know, we knew that he was such an incredible technical coach and, um, that worked out and Abby came with him and, um, Abby Johnston, um, I'm sure all the listeners know, know who Abby Johnston is. Um, and from there on, uh, you know, that kind of made my college decision for me getting to work with Drew for those two years before, uh, before having to make the decision. I knew, you know, I wanted to continue working with him and, and that's how things wound up. Cool. That, that's awesome. Um, you know, what other schools or colleges did you look at, uh, besides Duke? Um, I definitely kept an open mind. I mean, even though I was still working with Drew, you know, I, I definitely didn't want to, um, you know, make a premature decision and not think about everything. So, you know, I had a great time looking at different schools. I looked at, you know, Stanford, Texas, USC, and, um, and Duke were like the main schools that I took my recruiting trips to, but, you know, I also, you know, talked to some other coaches, um, as well. It was, uh, it was a fun time. And, you know, I felt like there were lots of places where I, you know, felt like I could have done really well. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Duke was, was really what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, just to, you know, cause you mentioned starting your career with Nunzio and you were pretty fortunate that you were also able to kind of end your career. It almost kind of came full circle. What was that like when Drew did decide to make that transition to IU? Um, maybe even before Nunzio was named the coach, like, was there ever thoughts of going to IU or was it Nunzio got named the coach? And you're like, yep, this is cool. I'm going to finish out here with him. I'm trying to take myself back to that moment. <laughs> um, before I knew that Nunzio was going to be filling in, um, it was a really tough time, um, for me and, and the team. Um, you know, I think looking back, we all understood, you know, why, why Drew, made that decision and the opportunity that he had to, you know, build something new at, at you know, such an established program. Um, but at the same time, I, I knew that I wasn't going to, to leave Duke. I had one year left and it was my, where all my friends were, my family, that was kind of my life. Um, and, you know, also at that point in my diving career, I felt like it was important to stay. So I was definitely, I was upset um, in that interim, um, no doubt. But after stepping back, you know, I had some time to think about like, well, you know, if I'm going to stay here, then I want Nunzio to be my coach again. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> he was agreeable to coming back. And, uh, and so it ended up being a, you know, a wonderful way to kind of end my, my career at Duke. And, and, and then look, looking now, like seeing what he's built there is, um, is amazing. But so, so, you know, it all, it all does work out, but it was definitely hard in the moment. Right. Absolutely. Sure. Thank you. So my next question here, I want to know about that Duke <laughs> diving rip. So when I think about Nick McCrory, I think about ripping dives, you had this 
teleportation rip that was unmatched. And I just want to know the secret because it seems like everybody that comes from Duke has this kind of rip. Oh man. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> probably you probably should have asked me about 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things that we would always practice on, you know, one of the drills that I felt was so helpful is I feel like so much of your, of your rip is like the posture that you have, like right above the water and having that kind of hollowed out shape with your back flat, um, you know, like arms on vertical, but the rest of your body, like coming in from a short angle, like, um, and obviously you got to have your flat, your, your palm flat on the water. Um, but then after that, um, you know, I, I'd need a video in front of me to walk through this step by step, but you know, that, that was one of the things that I loved about, about Drew's video library is he was a really big advocate of using underwater cameras. And so really breaking down the timing and, you know, you know, at what point underwater do your arms actually, you know, um, swim all the way to the side and, you, you know, like make a, make a T like that 90 degree angle, like how deep are you when that happens? And then, you know, how do you initiate the pike save? And, um, so really breaking it down, but unfortunately I'm not going to be able to give you a straightforward answer right now. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's perfect. And that actually leads, I mean, we're going to talk about this later in the show. We mentioned it last time we are doing a coach's clinic and that is presented mainly by Drew Johansson. And one of those items on the docket is a ripped entry. Um, so stay tuned, uh, September 23rd through 25th coaches clinic. We'd love to see everybody there. Okay. Now Heath, you go ahead. <laughs> You're good. So, um, you know, this question is kind of a fun one that we like to ask is when you were just in the zone and when you were competing at the highest level, what was that go-to dive that you just knew, like, no matter how the meet was going, that one was going to go well and put you on track. Hmm. You know, what ended up being one of my go-to dives, um, I think ended up being my inward three and a half, my four Oh seven. And I never, um, I shuffled that around, you know, at some points it was the dive I started with. Sometimes it was third in my list. Um, I think when I ended my career, I had put it at the first because like to break the water, because that was the one that I could count on the most. Um, I had a, you know, kind of an interesting history with that dive though. It wasn't always my favorite. Um, it took a little bit of time. And then that was like the only dive that I ever hit the 10 meter platform on. Um, I don't know if you all remember this or even knew about this, but it was in the 2010 world cup trials. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, obviously trying really hard to make the team. Um, and it was in the final, um, I was doing my inward three and a half. And at that time it was third in my list. And, uh, I had like a really aggressive top. I, you know, like I felt like as soon as I left the platform, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Um, and I was coming around the platform, like uh, doing my second somersault. And uh, one of my feet just smacked the platform. Um, and I, you know, reflex to just immediately ducking my head and getting lost and um, did an inward quad and landed feet first and failed the dive in the finals of the world cup trial. Um, I'm, I don't know where the video of that is, but someone has to have it. I, I, I would imagine drew does somewhere. 
That's um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> happened. Um, and, uh, you know, I came back and ended up making the team, um, cause it was averaged over three lists. Um, but after that, you know, I, um, I did not like that dive for a little while, but it forced me to like break down the, you know, my takeoff, um, you know, the timing of like, you know, when I kind of like push away from the platform to make sure I have enough space and doing that, like actually made it one of the most consistent dives. And, you know, I've had mental blocks before on other dives, but thankfully that didn't give me one on the inward. I just had to rebuild it. I, I can't, what I can't believe is like, if you, touched your feet on the platform, you would think your momentum would be slowed. Obviously you said you ducked your head and kept spinning, but to even make four somersaults after kind of clipping, that's like, Whoa, Holy cow. Yeah. Well, I didn't hit my heel. Thankfully that would have been disastrous. I kind of just slapped my, you know, my toes and the top of my, um, yeah, it was disorienting though. Yeah, for sure. So the, the other follow-up I had to that is you talked about um, starting with a comfortable dive in your list, what does it mean? Uh, you know, take us through how you select the order of your dives. I mean, we've all heard, uh, Cynthia Potter talk about it extensively where you want to start with a confident one and end with a big one and everything in the middle is kind of whatever you feel. Is that pretty accurate? I think so. I mean, I went through different phases and, um, you have to, I mean, it is pretty an individual thing. Like you just have to figure out what works for you. Um, and so I liked ending with a dive that I was really confident with and wasn't too challenging. Um, that for me, that ended up being the inward. Um, and then I liked ending with a dive that's also pretty consistent and a big, you know, high, high scoring dive, the, um, 52, Um, that's pretty standard. I feel like for most people, um, but, you know, and then how you build it in between. I, I kind of like to do it so that um, I always like back and reverses back to back. I think that helps me a lot. Yeah. Um, some people would start their list, though, with reverses. I, like for the past few years, I think Tom Daly and um, I can't remember who else. Some people have started their list with reverse three and a half. And that's something I would have never done. Um, I don't think I had the confidence to do that. Um, I did start my list with front four and a half for a while. Um, but that's just, I, to me, that felt like too much pressure to start the list with. And you really got to save that for later on when the, when the judges are giving out higher scores. So there is some strategy too, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, talk to us about the, how you partnered up with David Bodaya for synchro. What was that um, process like for, I guess, identifying the synchro partner? And then another one to that is if it wasn't David, who would you have liked to compete synchro with? I remember partnering up with David, um, you know, in the early stages, you know, I think it took about a year for that partnership to get kind of finalized as we were trying out different combinations and, um, you know, David, David and Thomas were such a successful, um, synchro team. And then for a little while there, like David and I were kind of, um, competing at some meets and I was competing with Thomas as well. So, um, I don't, it wasn't until I think about two, two years before the 2012 Olympics that it kind of got more finalized. A lot of that was driven just by like Steve Foley, not, not him, like hand selecting the team, but, 
encouraging the different um, trying of partnerships and um, letting the letting the competition decide it. So, you know, I I think that was if I remember it was like a little bit strange kind of competing in those three different pairs, um, you know, but it worked out and I, I really like competing with both of them. David is just such an incredible competitor. You know, I learned so much from him um, individually and, you know, I don't think anyone can quite like turn it on like he can. Um, it's pretty incredible. And so, you know, that, that made me a lot better of a diver. Um, I'm not sure who else I would have liked to compete synchro with. Um, I always like to, you know, figure out what other people were doing, doing well. And, um, then doing synchro with them, like helps you take that on yourself. I remember at one world series, I got to do synchro on three meter with Chris Caldwell. And I was hoping that doing synchro with him would somehow allow me to jump a lot higher, but it didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I love, I love it. Well, I think it's interesting too. You know, you talked about learning from David, you know, some of that competitiveness and uh, just to rewind a little bit for some of our younger listeners, uh, Nick actually was, you were one of the reasons that David was not the last person to win all three boards. Cause for whatever reason, you guys always got to NCAAs and I, I could be wrong, but I don't think you ever lost to David at an NCAA championship. You always won on 10 meter, correct? Yeah. yeah and you I, always just turned it on. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's true. He beat me in the prelims pretty much always, I think. And then for some reason, the NCAA finals, that was like my time to shine. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. other than that, it was, yeah. That's cool. We'll have to, Heath, we're going to keep trying to get David on. We got to get him on to defend himself here on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as we go to this next question here, um, you have been all over the world with this sport, this awesome sport of diving. You know, what are some of the pools that have stuck out to you and stand out as some of your favorites to dive at what, for any reason that you see fit? Hmm. Um, I think a lot of pools have like definitely a nostalgic feeling or like, you know, um, I definitely like them cause like I competed on them growing up. I think like the Moss farms pool is an example of that. Um, there are certain pools that will always like have a place in my heart. Um, Duke's pool. I love that place, even though it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> with that um, weird, weird seven meter you guys six have. Meter, six yeah, and a half yeah. meter. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I think one of the most interesting pools that I ever competed at was probably the World Series in Dubai. Um, and I'm not sure if you've seen mm -hmm. photos or video from that, from that event, but um it's got a really unique layout and it has this gigantic, super tall wall um, that the platforms, you know, just jut out from. And the staircase is, everything is hidden behind that wall, like the stairs um, and an elevator. So you don't have to tire your legs out walking, walking up those stairs. But um, on the other side of the wall, there's also an entire other set of platforms jutting out in the opposite direction into a secret training pool. Um, so it's like a mirror image, like on the other side, the same set of platforms into another smaller pool without seating. So you can actually 
practice during the competition and do like a build up on three meter, five meter platform, and then go back up and do your next dive. And uh, we, I think we actually did that a little bit at that world series and it was really fun. I think a lot of the divers enjoyed it. I know I did. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so talk to about, or talk to us about what you studied in school and then what you're doing now. Yeah. So in college, um, I ended up majoring in religious studies and doing the pre-med requirements. Um, so I took the MCAT during college and then, you know, after college, um, I kind of set my sights on applying to medical school. Um, so that involved, you know, in the year right after college, when I went to Indiana to continue training for a bit, I worked in a lab there, um, at the university in a, a biochemistry lab. And, um, after I retired that year, I moved back to North Carolina and did a master's program in physiology at NC State University, and then applied to medical school from there. Uh, so I had about three years in between, um, and that was, a, that was a good time to, you know, kind of grow up a little bit more, um, take some more of the coursework that would help me, you know, be successful in medical school. And, um, and so that's kind of how that worked out. Cool. That's, and then what are you, what are you yeah. doing now? So now I'm finishing my uh, intern year in psychiatry at Brown University. So living up in Providence, Rhode Island now. That's that's awesome. So, uh, you know, bef- when we sent you this outline, I don't think uh, either one of us actually had known that you were going into psychiatry. Um, but that segues perfectly into um, we we try to focus on mental health. And I think mental health has become more and more prioritized um, and more maybe in the spotlight. So what are some things you think coaches could be doing to help athletes with that side of their, their, not just athletics, but them as people, like what can coaches be doing to help with the mental side? Yeah. I'm, I think that that's an important conversation, um, to be having, you know, these days, um, a lot of, a lot more athletes are, you know, comfortable kind of sharing about their mental health, um, And that speaks to, you know, hopefully some of the stigma breaking down. Um, You know, I know a lot of Olympians have been open about it in recent years. Um, But, you know, really more broadly, you know, we have like a mental health crisis um, in this country. And I think that the, you know, mental health in athletes and collegiate athletes is kind of a microcosm of that. Um, but I think what coaches can do is like be more attentive and encourage more conversation and realize that in the university systems in the NCAA setting there, there are really a lot of, um, you know, benefits that we can like, you know, utilize to help people in their mental health and get help, seek help. Um, and for science to like, go recognize. I mean, being in a team event and like team setting where hopefully, you know, you have good teammates who are checking in on you and keeping, keeping an eye on how things are doing. Like, um, I think the most important thing is creating a climate where people can talk, um, really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So then, um, post diving, how has your career kind of challenged you and how has diving, I guess, prepared you for that next step, that life after diving? I think diving is diving has prepared me in, in like so many ways. Um, 
you know, they call like your medical training, it's training. Um, so having kind of an athlete's mindset is so helpful for that. And I think that probably people who go into other fields, you know, think of it in a similar way, but I definitely think of, you know, my medical training now, similarly to how I would think about diving, um, you know, how I would approach, um, you know, a heavy training week. Like if I know, um, that my week is going to be super busy and stressful. Like I do the same things that I would have done, um, kind of for diving, you know, like get a lot of rest over the weekend, meal prep plan, like just think ahead. Um, and I, so I think that mindset is like invaluable and I think pushing yourself in diving, it's all about getting out of your comfort zone. And medicine is a field where you are constantly being pushed out of your comfort zone and, having to deal with really challenging situations and unexpected situations. So I think, you know, in athletics and diving, you know, your problem or the, you know, tough situations might be a little bit more foreseeable. Um, but it's really the same kind of mindset, I would say. Sure. Yeah. That, that time management skill obviously is uh, top notch in your world. <laughs> So, so kind of to, uh, just to rewind real quick for a follow-up after you made the decision to retire from diving, did you go through any struggles with that being part of your identity for so long? Or was that transition easy for you? No, I, it was definitely not easy. Um, I think it's a very hard transition for people to make. It was hard for me to make, um, because when you do a sport, like that for so long. And that does become your identity. Um, you do, you, I mean, I, I definitely at times felt lost, um, without it in my life any longer. Um, and so figuring out how to fill that was, was important. And, you know, what I was alluding to earlier about, you know, kind of, kind of growing up in a way, um, you also realize that you fall into certain patterns. Um, when you're an athlete and a lot of that is relying on, you know, external validation or certain, you know, cues from the environment, like how was training today? It was good. Um, I did, you know, several, I did, you know, a couple in or three and a half that all would have gotten eights that made me feel good about myself today. Cause I can, you know, count on that. Um, but in life, you don't have that. It's not as obvious. It's harder to gauge your progress, how you're actually doing. And for people who really rely on that, um, it can produce a lot of anxiety. And so you have to figure out, you know, what am, what's important to me? What am I doing? How am I going to monitor my goals and my progress on them without being too tough on myself? And yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. You know, looking at it from that perspective, I think it's important to, for athletes to realize there is life after our sport. Um, but um, so kind of speaking to our younger listeners, what advice would you give to a young diver who wants to be great? Mm, point your toes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good oh, one. I'm just kidding. Yes. No, I think, I mean, if, for, for our young listeners, I would say, um, like, have fun, you know, like if this, if this is your passion, like feed your passion and, and do, do what you love. Diving is such a wonderful sport and community. Um, 
have fun with it because it's some of the, you know, the best time in your life. Um, for, you know, people who are a little bit older and, and becoming, you know, serious about diving, um, I don't know that one person in particular, like, told me this, but it was kind of like when I ended my, my diving career, kind of like the advice that I kind of was able to sum up, I think, and it's, um, you know, you have to think about in order to like be successful and take things where you, where you truly want to, you know, your actions and your beliefs about yourself and your goals should all be in alignment. And I think that's something that everyone would say, oh yeah, of course, you know, that's obvious, but spending a little bit longer thinking about what, what that means to you, um, I think is really important. For example, if, you know, your goals are to um, final at NCAAs, but you know, you don't believe that you'll make it out of the pre-limit zones, then, you know, you're, it's probably not going to go very well. Um, and similarly, if, you know, you believe you can do something, um, but you're not, your actions don't match that you're not training hard enough, or you're not, you know, doing anything, then you're also, you also might be setting yourself up for disappointment. So sure. continually monitoring all three of those, I think is what I learned from diving. Yeah, you, that makes sense. Go ahead, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry. You, you talked about the diving community and it being just so special, so unique. We uh, happened to have Christian Ibsen on the podcast previously, and he mentioned uh, you guys have a really good relationship. Go ahead, let's uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, Christian, he's one of my favorite people, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we became friends. Uh, there's this hilarious picture of us um, from, I think the Woodlands, Texas um, at a competition, like sitting under like this waterfall at a pool. I don't know um, what pool that was, but I think that was the moment where we became best friends. Um, and yeah, we, you know, we would room together at all the international competitions and um, just always had a lot of fun with it. I think that, um, you know, getting to hang out with him honestly was probably some of my motivation at times for <laughs> continuing to make the teams. Um, I do remember though, the first time that I saw him, it was, I think 2001 junior nationals. Um, and, uh, let's see, I, he was the youngest kid in the, in the platform in like the 13 and under platform by far. Um, and he, he definitely beat me and I was very upset for like a year and a half, just about the idea of Christian Ibsen existing. Um, <laughs> fortunately, a, like a year and a, a year or two later, we became, we became super, super good friends. I don't know why I have this uh, image in my head and I need to see this photo, but all I think about when you say that's the moment we became best friends, I think about the, uh, the movie Step Brothers when they look at each other and they're like, did we just become best friends? And yeah, I just exactly. picture that's what happened in that moment. It was like um, a Step Brothers moment for 11 year olds or whatever. That's, that's all. <laughs> you know, speaking of these relationships that you've built, um, you know, Talk a little bit about how this small community and you've kept those relationships, you know, do you stay in touch with Drew and Nunzio and all your old teammates? Like, what has that meant to you? And how does that affect you now being out of the sport? It's a community that I feel is always there and one that I will always be there for, especially when things are asked um, of me. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not the best at keeping in touch with, 
as many people as I would like to. And it's definitely hard with um, the phase of my life that I'm in right now um, with residency. It can just be hard to, hard to maintain those relationships, but you know, I do know that they're there and um, I, I keep in touch with people as much as I can. And, um, uh, but you know, whenever I do bump into someone or get the opportunity to see someone from the, from the community after a while, you know, it does feel, it, it always has that feel like um, we're kind of right back where we were like, like, you know, nothing has changed. And so um, having that, I think is just so special. Awesome. That's great. Um, so this was a, a question. We were in this Facebook group and we try to post some of the future guests we have on. So this question actually came from Matt O'Neill, the Harvard diving coach. Um, he said, has being an elite athlete aided in your process through medical school in any way, any advice for divers pursuing higher education after diving? So you've kind of already answered some of that, but maybe the second part, what advice would you have for athletes that are going to pursue more education after that sport ends? Yeah, um, I think I did already touch on it and I would, I would add to it just by saying, um, kind of mixing in my answer for another question is the whole concept of setting goals, um, and making them like small achievable goals. Like that's, that's how you make progress in diving. Um, and it turns out like, that's how you make progress in the real world as well. Like you have to set you have to be like continually setting like achievable goals that keep you on track. And so, you know, I would say, you know, figure out your strategy first, figure out your passion, what you want to do. And then, um, you know, break things down the same way that you would, you know, for your goals in diving. Um, it might, it might be a little bit more, um, obscure, like the, the pathway that you're ending up, like that you're going toward, um, for example, it's not just learning a new dive that, that you know what the dive is. Um, and the reality is also you might be, the end goal might change, you know, while you're on the path, but not losing sight of it, I think is really important. Not sure if that exactly answers the question, but I mean, the skills translate is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we're going to get into our signature questions. Uh, we don't treat failure like it's a bad thing, but more of like an opportunity for growth. You know, you're either winning or you're learning. So what would you say in your career or life as far as your favorite failure or your best opportunity for growth? Oh, I love that. Um, what you just said, you're either winning or you're learning. Yeah. Cause a, a, like a failure that you don't learn anything from is such a waste. It's such, it's such a waste. Um, you know, growth is uncomfortable. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, your path has to be uncomfortable or, or else you're not growing, but you got to be learning from it. And I think my favorite failure was 2009 world championships. My first one, I was for the prelims. They, you know, I got randomly selected to be the first diver. Um, and I landed basically flat on my back on an inward three and a half on the first dive. And so I did not make it out of the prelims. Um, but, you know, from that, I learned how to control my emotions. I mean, I didn't learn it from that, but that kind of helped steer me in the right direction in terms of figuring out a strategy to get better at that, get, get the competition jitters out because um, that was embarrassing and I did not want that to happen again. So yeah. I did not waste that experience. 
Going first is always tough. That's always the one. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> it's always the one draw that I hope my kids don't get. And sometimes it's like, well, that's what you get. <laughs> yeah. that's, what, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah, but the difference though, Aaron, is like we hope that doesn't happen in a dual meet. That happened to Nick at the World Championships. Yep. Yep. <laughs> at my first World Championships. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had to just look around and you're like, this isn't random, is it? <laughs> I was like, this is a, this is a joke. A 100% joke. Hey, they but knew I psyched it. myself out. Well, if you can get through that and come out on top, uh, you know, a couple of years later, that's okay. You, you, they, they hardened you, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to let it harden you. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay. So the next one, um, you've kind of had experience through many different avenues of diving, USA diving as an age grouper, NCAA with Duke, and then, you know, on the world scale with FINA. Um, so usually what I ask is if there's one avenue somebody comes from, what can that place do to improve? There's always room for improvement because you've kind of gone all the, the various in which ways I'm going to kind of leave it open to you. What can diving do to improve and you know, what level is, is important to you? Um, I think that I'll stick with USA diving. Cause I think that that's probably most relevant to the listeners and kind of what we're talking about today, but yeah, you know, I think that, you know, USA diving, um, USA diving has an important role. Um, and I, I, what I would love to see is just to continue growing the sport in numbers and, you know, and community outreach. I think that, um, you know, it would be wonderful to see, um, you know, some, some kind of emphasis in, in service, whether it's by like the, uh, you know, U S national team, um, kind of at that level to kind of set an example in some ways. Um, and maybe, you know, connecting with alumni as well. Um, but I think growing the sport, inspiring young kids and creating like safe and, um, and great places for kids to dive and have fun. is like the goal. Right. So I would love to see that. Yeah. And I do, I, on that front, I do have to give a really good shout out. Um, USA diving recently made a hire and they, you know, appointed somebody to kind of head their social media program. And ever since they announced that it's been unbelievable. So I, you know, kudos way to go excited to see what's next. I mean, I saw so much this weekend from the, the Boston, um, Red Bull high dive oh, yeah. uh, championship. I mean, what they're doing now, there's constant videos, constant circulation. They're doing these, um, you know, athlete spotlights. It's, it's been incredible. And I'm super, super happy to see everything that's been going on. You know, social media is just huge right now. Yeah. That's well, that's great to hear. That's encouraging. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Um, so this is the, the next questions are my questions for you, Nick, is uh, what is your favorite drill? It could have been when you were a younger diver. It could be dry land water, but your favorite drill to do. Favorite drill. Um, oh, there were so many. Uh, I can definitely think of ones that I didn't like, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think the, one of the most fun were those, you know, pop off back lineups on one meter. Um, those are, those are just really fun when you do it right. It's just, it feels so good. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
it's, it's just funny. I, I had a coach message me and they're like, I love that you ask that drill question. They're like, I have a little notebook that I write down the drill and who suggested it and they do them at practice. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of neat that someone's doing that. Um, so yeah. that that's a good one. I don't, I don't think anybody has mentioned back pop-up lineups at all yet. Oh um, yeah. Tons of them. That's my favorite one too. But um, so next question would be, what's the best advice you've either given or received? Um, probably point your toes, I'd say. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's um, the go-to. No. Um, I don't know. I kind of already summed up mm-hmm. one thing. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good quote. The problem is I can never remember, you know, quotes <laughs> or like, it just doesn't, doesn't stick with me. It's way I, harder on the spot too. Is, I gotta yeah. say. Honestly, I've already wrote down two though. You said two things. You said feed your passion and you said actions, goals, and beliefs must be in alignment. Like those are two great goals. Like or two great pieces of advice. I think they're great. All Um, right, let's stick with those. (laughs) All right. And then uh the last signature question is who would you like to hear us interview next? Um, oh geez, so many people. It would be I looked a bit through your um through your previous interviews and you've had some really outstanding people on here. I mean, I think continuing like as many international, like international guests, I think are really cool. Um, maybe some of the old like diving greats, like um, not old, I should not say that, but you know, <laughs> Alexander de Pati, you know, people yeah. in that yes. line would be really cool. Um, I think Abby Johnson would be a wonderful guest to have on the show. Um, and could probably could give you, you know, like some of her take on, mm-hmm. on Duke and all of that. Um, yeah. I, uh, I have to say this. I actually briefly forgot that Alexander de Petit is like one of your favorite divers. I remember Nunzio saying you and him used to bicker about who has a better hurdle or something along those lines, oh. something like that. Right. I will, I will defend Alex de Petit's <laughs> hurdle until the day I die. It's my favorite <laughs> hurdle of all time. I, I like vividly remember you two talking about that. And I forgot. And we keep messaging. I'm so happy you said that because we keep messaging all these people. I'm like, oh, kind of the same thing we did with you. We'll just keep sending you messages sooner or later. You'll say, leave us alone or sure. I'll come on. Because <laughs> a lot of times yeah. people are just busy. Yeah. But uh, but true. all right. We, we have added those to our list now. Um, you know, before Aaron does our send off, just a reminder that camps and clinics are in our link tree. Um, we should have more news coming out soon. As Aaron previously mentioned, September 23rd through the 25th down at Moss Farms, um, a coach's clinic that's going to get be featuring uh, Drew Johansson. There's also going to be a skills challenge associated with that. Um, so keep an eye on Instagram for more information to come with that. If you think there's anything I missed, Aaron, on that, go ahead and hit on that. And uh, But before Aaron does, Nick, thank you so much. This was awesome. And uh, just as someone that Aaron and I both looked up to, it's really cool to get to talk to you for even a little bit. Thank you both for having me. This is awesome and great for the community, what you're doing. Um, I love, I love this idea of the diving pod. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like he said, we're just super excited about this coaches clinic again, down at Moss farms, uh, September 23rd through 25th. We will be down there. Um, John Fox will obviously be down there. And uh, Drew Johansson is kind of our, our leader in it, in that sense. So make sure you mark those dates, figure out a way to get down there. We'd love to see as many people as possible. We think it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal weekend. Um, so yeah, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod and our Gmail is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, 
T-shirts and hoodies are for sale at divingpod.itemorder.com. Enter dive pod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. Uh, once again, thank you to Nick McCrory. Both of us had this one circled. This is a pretty, uh, pretty cool honor to be able to talk to somebody who we both looked up to tremendously throughout our diving career. So thanks again. Thank you, Bill. All right. See you next time.